The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Avery, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Now, our topic today is using social media to connect young persons with autism. And our guests are Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. Now, first of all, Sarah, she has a 12-year-old nephew uh, with autism. She's been his aide at school for a decade now. She's the mom of two boys, one with ADHD, anxiety, and celiac disease. She's passionate about creating social, recreational, and creative opportunities for underestimated kids. She's been trained in key therapies. She created Squag, I don't know how to pronounce that. You're going to have to put me right in a moment, Sarah. .com, a website that encourages mindfulness, self-reflection, and original thinking for kids of eight years and more with autism. A parent-child communication system, Squag Pad, is now being tested. And she writes for the Huffington Post in Canada, Autism Speaks Canada, Friendship Circle International, the Autism File Global, and Autism Asperger's Digest. Christina Chu, our other guest, is an associate professor of classics at St. Peter's College in Jersey City, New Jersey. She's published a translation of Virgil's Georgics, which was in 2002. She's also published articles on autism, disability, and literature, including Special Ed 101 and Choosing a School for Children on the Autism Spectrum in the Thinking Person's Guide to Autism, which is dated 2011. And she blogs daily about her life raising her teenage autistic son, Charlie. Uh, we go with him. That's autism.typepad.com. And she also blogs about education, disability issues, and human rights at care to that's C-A-R numeral 2.com. So welcome to the show, Sarah and Christina. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. Okay, now starting with you, Sarah, please tell us a bit more about your background and career. Sure. Um, about uh, just over 10 years ago now, um, I was working in a completely different profession, and, um, I, I, and I had an opportunity to begin to work with my nephew, who was 
uh, had just recently been diagnosed with PDD-NOS. And I never really uh, thought um, that it would be uh, a long-term uh, a, a long-term uh, job. But what happened was is I, I got to be with him every day, and I got to watch, uh, be alongside him as he, you know, navigated his home and school life, and I was completely uh, amazed and inspired by uh, this incredible kid. And he changed my life. And so um, I, I deeply embedded myself in, in his therapy and, and his life. And uh, I honestly think he, he taught me more than I ever taught him. Um, but I went through the therapeutic process with him. So as he learned a new therapy, so did I. And, uh, and we did it together as a family. And I was able to be with him at school and... Um, really for the past 10 years. It's been amazing. Great. Christina, please tell us more about your background and career. Well, I, I'm originally from California, live in New Jersey now, and, um, you know, we, we, um, I'm a classics professor, so I teach Greek and Latin. And um, I can say that when my child was diagnosed, just after I began my teaching career, and I think initially um, I had sort of a crisis of, you know, what I should do with myself because Greek and Latin, very academic, scholarly subjects. Charlie was diagnosed and um, with autism, and as it turns out, his diagnosis is sort of moderate to severe autism. He um, talks, but in very short phrases. He doesn't seem to really be able to read. He has had a history of a lot of really serious behavior issues, including self-injurious behavior. And um, he's currently going to um, an autism center. He used to go to school in a, pu- in a special education classroom in our public schools, but he wasn't able to handle that when he became an adolescent. So he's actually been doing very well. And, um, you know, my, my, my teaching career has kind of paralleled um, really his life because I've really left jobs and taken up jobs, you know, in order to fit into his schedule, which, you know, always making sure I'm home to, you know, to drop him off, put him on the bus, go to his meetings and all those kinds of things, be home for therapists. And, um, you know, but I, I think that actually this is something I've only recently realized that my um, training in ancient languages, you know, what are called dead languages, in some ways has been very helpful in helping Charlie learn how to talk and also in learn, trying to understand his very different kinds of communications. Um, this might sound kind of crazy, but, um, you know, in talking something like 8th century B.C. Homer, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, these were, um, these are poems, very long poems, epic poems about Greek mythology, about the Trojan War, that were recited, um, to audiences. Most people then could not read. In fact, it's not even clear if, you know, these, uh, if the poet himself could read or write. He recited them from memory. And, you know, lately I've really been thinking that a lot of aspects of this sort of ancient poetry, this ancient society where most people are not able to read or write, listen to things, um, is really, I've become more interested in it because of Charlie. Because he doesn't really read, he does, but he's fascinated by music, you know, and, um, he he's really kind of showed me that it's possible to live in a very different way than I had imagined. You know, Sarah said that her nephew taught her more than anything else, and I really have to say that about Charlie. You know, I used to think before he was born that you couldn't 
couldn't really, what would it be like to live without being able to read books and write things and think about things like through the written word? And since Charlie doesn't use those forms of communication, he really, he likes to talk as much as he can and he loves to listen to music. I've really had to learn different ways of communication through him, and it's made me much, much appreciate the Greek poetry a lot more. Very interesting. Sarah, I'm going to come back to you and ask you, first of all, um, your career prior to um, becoming involved with your nephew and Mm -hmm. his aide, do you see any parallels with what Christine has just been saying about the way in which your profession might have taught you something about the way in which you work with your nephew in, in his world of communication. I mean, I, I was just fascinated by what you just said, Christina, because the more I meet people who have lived a life um, on the autism spectrum or as a parent of someone with autism, um, the more I hear um, that happening where, you know, you have a life that you're passionate about and then this child comes into your life and when you see the world through their eyes, um, suddenly, it, first, at first it's all about that and then after a few years you start to marry some of your experiences together and, I mean, I certainly feel that way. I was so focused. I was so... Um, I was completely absorbed in a career in theater and dance, and I could never have imagined that I would have been passionate about, like, that passionate about anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, you can call it fate or whatever circumstance led me to leave my career and fill a need. Um, and what happened was is I had this experience that changed my life and opened me up and then 10 years later, really in building Squag and having a creative outlet through writing and meeting uh, families who are, you know, creating theater programs for kids with autism and, um, you know, uh, yoga for kids with different needs and all of these, all of these things that people are doing um, has really brought me back to my um, creative roots. And so it's like this beautiful thing where the things I love um, the most, I, I get to put all of my energy into at the same time. And it's kind of crazy <laughs> to be old enough to have that sort of perspective. And um, I get overwhelmed by it sometimes um, because it was all through this child, um, this one child. And then, of course, my experience with him informed my own experience as a parent and, uh, you know, my older son struggles with different issues, and, Sarah, and so that going... changed me as a parent. So I think it's it's just an incredible perspective to have um, a few years in, and, and that's one of the things I try to do with my writing is to inspire parents who are just newly diagnosed um, that, you know, that there is a lot uh, to be hopeful for and a lot of really exciting things happening in the autism space now. Sarah, I'm going to have to stop you, unfortunately, because I just want to have a quick word with Christina, and then we, unfortunately, have to go into the break. Um, Christina, you have made a point that has resonated strongly with Sarah, and I think will resonate very much with other people. Would you go so far as to say that what your sort of academic um, career taught you 
was something about another, if you like, world or another communication system that then you were able to apply in your care for Charlie uh, in such a way that you were able to better understand his world, uh, not just or not only the world of the classics. Now, I'm afraid you only have half a minute to answer that one, but have I understood it right, basically? In yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And even to realize that originally when Charlie was diagnosed, I thought, I don't have training as a psychologist, as a speech therapist, as a special educator. I'm a, I, I teach Greek and Latin. And it, I think it's turned out that the things that I had already been studying have proved to be helpful. It's very gratifying. Yes. So would you go so far as to say that, you know, you mentioned speech therapists, doctors, people like me, should know more about the world that you've learned about uh, in the past when people couldn't read, for example. Should they know more? I, I think it might be helpful. Perhaps, you know, there's this idea of neurodiversity that, you know, pe just as people come from different ethnicities, different genders, different religions, they also have different kinds of minds and different ways of thinking. And I, I do think that studying history, studying about different cultures, different times, does somehow teach us that people didn't always think like us. I mean, that seems like a fairly obvious idea, but I find that it's not, that it's not maybe quite as obvious to people as um, it might appear to be. I mean, just a feedback to both of you in a few seconds that we've got left in this segment, and that's a very, very encouraging and hopeful message, isn't it? That by knowing more about ourselves, we'll know more and understand more and be able to work more closely with our children, with other children, with the kind of conditions that uh, autism is, with the kind of effects that it has on them. And that's something that we're going to be exploring in more detail in the next segment. And as I keep saying, it is now time for us to take the short break. This is where we pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. Listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner Talking Baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Lairitz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. Our topic is social media to connect young persons with autism. Now, let's talk more about the communications problems and their solutions for young people with autism. And, Christina, with you first, let's hear more about your experience with communications for Charlie and young people like him with autism. Christina, please. Um, Well, first of all, Charlie has a very significant communication disability since he... He is able to speak fairly clearly now. He wasn't always able to. We didn't know if he was, you know, saying a word like French. We couldn't always tell what he was saying. He had articulation problems. Um, but he also now speaks in sentences of about one to five words at the most. So um, he doesn't seem to be able to use language to describe his internal states, such as emotions or even things like a stomachache. Um, or to use certain phrases, you know, like, I, I feel bad, my stomach hurts. What I've noticed about Charlie's communication, which I, I don't want to overgeneralize it to other autistic individuals' communication, but he does seem to talk mostly about very concrete things, um, you know, things like foods or people or colors, for instance. And um, he sometimes will use a word or a phrase that, when he means something completely different, but he, um, it's because he associates certain things with the phrase. The best example right now you could say is this phrase, tickle. Once upon a time, we taught him to say tickle with the idea that we would teach him to have, you know, call us to come over or call a therapist to come over to give him a tickle, and we'd praise him because he was talking, making some kind of communicative attempt, um, and being social. Um, However, over time, Charlie just uses this phrase to mean generally, Mom, I want you up here right now to do something for me. And um, it's a very affectionate phrase. Um, he doesn't say it to, really to anybody but to me. He just only says it when he's home. And I know I should shape the phrase, have him say something else instead, but I, I feel just sort of a little parental reluctance to sometimes because I know that for him that phrase, tickle or tickle mommy, it means a lot more than just, what it seems to. And so I, I think sometimes um, I wrote about this in an essay um, about autism and metonymy, which is um, aut- about autism and figurative speech. And I was trying to think about how it seems to me with Charlie that a lot of his phrases um, are referred to things that they don't seem to be. Um, when he was little, some, another example is that he would call out for sushi um, or he would want, or he would ask to go on a bike ride, but he would really want to get sushi. <laughs> and the reason was because it happened that once we had taken him on a bike ride and then he'd gotten sushi afterwards, and so he linked the two things together. And um, in a lot of cases, his communication has those kinds of features. So in, I think that the, maybe the official phrase is non-contextual verbalizations. <laughs> um, so they can be very difficult for people who don't know him to figure out. Because. That's it, yeah. Um, Sarah, please tell us about your communication system, Squag, sure. and um, how, 
I will be asking you this again, but if you please would sort of tailor what you're saying to the kind of communications issues that um, Christina's been talking about and also that you yourself have experienced. So, your communication system. Yeah, um, yeah. Before I before I start, I just wanted to mention, uh, along with what Christine was saying, from what I'm hearing, is um, I think we're but we're all like minded in in the way that we we recognize that lots of people on the spectrum um, are communicating in a way that's meaningful to them, and that the communication isn't always received cleanly. Um, and so one of the things that I had observed um, as an aide to my nephew and to other kids was that the environment wasn't always set up to be conducive to the way um, lots of kids I know communicate. And so we set out to build one online um, as a, a visual and social space for kids on the spectrum to communicate with their parents um, and if they were ready with their peers, but also with themselves, because we felt that certainly in their daily life at school for seven hours a day, um, there were so many sensory uh, conditions and, um, you know, other conditions like academic conditions and stuff where they, they really didn't have an opportunity to communicate. And so we wanted to give them a place um, that sort of took their communication style into consideration where they could practice um, that feeling of, of communicating and be able to encode that confidence and take it back with them into their daily life. I'm going to ask Christina again, but I will come back to you Sarah, on a particular point you've just made. But just first, Christina, please talk about the special challenges. You, you basically outlined to us that the words or the particular um, phrases that Charlie uses are between you and him and aren't, probably may not be understood by others. And that's a very special language that you both have developed among yourselves, and you've made quite clear that the problem that you have is that other people don't understand that language. What other special challenges, Christina, have you experienced in communications? I, I think that the greatest challenge that we've been living through is that, you know, I, I say this and I sound very biased because I am Charlie's mother, but Charlie is very, very intelligent. He's very smart. He this is none of this is revealed in his testing. None of this is revealed in his diagnosis or anything. Charlie is is has is always rates very low on standardized tests because he really can't doesn't seem to be able to read. But you can see the intelligence, <laughs> and I, I think that one of his real challenges as he's gotten older has been. I think we think he's become more aware of the fact that he has a lot of things in his head. He has a lot of feelings, especially with the changes to his body. Um, as he became, has become a teenager, and his really his language is just not sufficient to explain that. I think that a lot of children, typical autistic, other disabilities, have similar struggles. But Charlie also, because of his um, the extent of his disabilities, he doesn't have any parents who he spends time with. He's either in school or at home um, with us, and so he doesn't have other people to sort of express these emotions. He doesn't play video games. So he really struggles to have outlets, I think, to really explain these very sophisticated, complicated emotional feelings that I think are, are 
that I'm quite sure in his head. So that's been a real struggle for us. I, I think as, um, as when he was a little bit younger, about 12 or 13, a lot of times these came out in the forms of very severe behavior issues, which Charlie's always expressed his feelings often through his behavior, but a bigger child who is almost adult size, getting stronger, um, addressing some of these things can be very can be unsafe for everybody. And so that that's been a real challenge. He seems to be doing better as he's gotten a little bit older, and thanks really to lots and lots of education and speech therapy. Um, you know, he receives that um, a couple times a week at school still. And, um, you know, one of the main ways that I see him communicating, though, is through music. Now, it's not that he sings or anything like that, but Charlie has an iPad. He um, got one about two, about a year and a half ago. And for the first time in his life, because of the touchpad, he was able to turn on the music and operate the music on the iPad by himself. And um, he, I realized that he turns on music. He, was, he doesn't like to use headphones, so we always hear whatever he's listening to. Um, he turns on different things based on his moods, on the way he feels. Uh, for instance, last night, um, he has a lot of Jimi Hendrix on his iPad. My husband thought it would be good for him, and um, I think he was feeling like a teenage boy, so to speak, and had a lot of feelings and wanted just to sit in his room and listen to Jimi Hendrix to, right to his ear <laughs> at full blast. Right. And I think, I think for Charlie that music is definitely a way of him communicating things like emotions. And thanks to the iPad, really, he's, had a, he's got a mechanism to do it, and that's been a huge release for him because he, has, he, you know, he is very limited in his speech. The iPad okay. does... Uh, sorry, I don't mean to go on. Now, Christina, I, I hate interrupting you because what? it's fabulous what you're saying, but I do want to... I have to stay within sort of time limits. Of course, but of course. I'm, I'm going to take what you just said, the iPad, that's information technology, that's computers. My first, I have a two-part question for Sarah. First of all... What, your communication system, is it sound, voice, is it keyboarding, what is it in the way you use computers? And then, how does Squag solve or work around the kind of challenges that Christine has been talking about? Sure. So, um, our, our application is a downloadable air application. So, it works on a, a desktop or lap, laptop. Um, and... Um, Really, the idea is um, to offer a visual space um, that's sort of conducive to uh, being more mindful with technology. So rather than that state that kids are in when they're gaming, um, put them in a more regulated, mindful state. And um, we have a mirror, that's, um, which is a, web, a private webcam, which is the sort of center of what we call the squag pad. And their kids are encouraged to sort of self-reflect and build ideas about themselves. And parents are able to offer, like, tangible messages of encouragement all the way around the squad pad so that kids can take those messages and uh, encode them and create new ones about themselves. Um, and there's a place um, to dream, to wish. Um, there's a photo library, a video library, um, lots of music because we find that kids, all kids, all of us, um, music is such a great conduit for, for communication. And we just felt that a lot of kids were being uh, matched up because they had the same diagnosis instead of being matched up because they shared, uh, you know, unique interests. Um, 
So we really, through through our scribe pads, we want to be able to connect kids to their special interests and really let them luxuriate in it because many of their special interests, like Christina said, um, a lot of kids we know are super, super bright and they have different interests than their kids, than their friends at school. And so we wanted to give them a place that validated that and really, um, and then through that they could connect with other kids um, that share, that you know, may have shared some of the same experiences. So um, we're still in testing right now, and right now it's only the parent-child communication. Um, But later this spring, we're going to launch the peer-to-peer, and when we do connect kids with each other, um, it will be through their special interests. So we're really excited about that. Um, um, Yeah. (laughs) So just a very quick follow-up, Sarah. So... Children then are able to pick the way in which they want to communicate and the things that they want to communicate about using technology. Is that right? Yeah, through yeah, it's it's ours is text based, so it, it's all visual. There's a visual representation of what they're saying, but uh, it's through typing. Right. Yeah. That's great. Now it is again. Uh, the time that we have to take the break. So we'll go into the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Hathaway, and my guests are Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. Please stay tuned. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. What are some of the issues that kids face every day? You'll find out when you tune into the appropriately named Today's Kids. Your hosts are here to open the doors to a forum of all kinds of issues. Nothing is off the table here. And because it's on the Voice America Kids channel, you know you're getting a kid's perspective. Tune in every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Today's Kids. Your hosts will lead this form of engaging conversation on Voice America Kids. Do you ever stop and wonder if there's more to life than what you are experiencing? Do you feel like you deserve to live that life? Of course you should. Tune in to Shining Bright with your host, Regina Sisko. Through Regina's life experiences and her guest experts, you can put yourself on the path to holistic self-discovery and the life that you were born to lead. Shining Bright with Regina Sisko is broadcast live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Let's now uh, talk about ways of helping young people with autism communicate with each other. And so welcome back to uh, listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. 
Our topic is using social media to connect with young persons. So, Christina, the first question to you is, on your website, you talk about your son, Charlie, and your title is, We Go With Him. Now, to what extent does going with him depend on successful communication? And have you actually experienced the need for communications workarounds like Sarah's to help you both? We Go With Him is definitely based on the idea of, my husband came up with the term, um, for following Charlie's lead, and I mean, it refers to that in a very uh, literal way, but also I definitely in terms of communication. My husband and I are both very talkative, especially my husband. We're both professors, and I think that one thing we've learned from Charlie is the value of, of every single word, uh, because he talks so little, but also the value of silence. Sometimes Charlie just needs a lot of silence to process all the sounds around him. Like many children, he has hypersensitive hearing and can hear things like an airplane overhead and um, the noises in the next room. So We Go With Him is, is, has a lot of it, I think especially for my husband, I don't think he'll mind if I say this, but in his case, uh, learning how to be quiet, learning how to really listen for all of Charlie's communications, and um, especially because some of the things that Charlie says he doesn't always realize that, you know, he might need to tell you something important when he's got your attention. He might just say it, and the moment could pass. So you have to be attentive all the time to what Charlie might be saying. We have not had a lot of success with any kinds of augmentative communication systems with Charlie. Um, when he was little, we tried to use the picture exchange system with PECS but Charlie had already learned how to talk a little bit and to use sign language and found these faster and was never really was interested in using the PECs. We have tried some uh, systems on his iPad, um, some of the, the systems that, um, the apps that turn the iPad into um, a, a device that can speak. But again, we've had limited success. I, I think it's, um, you know, sometimes I think it's because some of those apps um, some of the basic features are teach him how to request things. He already does that with language, so he doesn't see any reason to use his iPad. Um, I think he might have more success if he learns how to use an iPad at school, and I know his school is very slowly trying to start a program where they would introduce the technology to the students, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. And, you know, frankly, I, I feel as a parent that, you know, sometimes we, especially when Charlie was younger, we focused so much on his education. Every single moment we were supposed to be teaching him, getting him to communicate, getting him to be social. Um, now I've seen that he's experienced so much joy and delight having the iPad to listen to, to watch music and videos, which is mostly what he does with it, that I don't always feel that we need to teach him to use it for this or for that. Um, sort of what Sarah said, you know, that lots of times autistic students are communicating in ways that are meaningful to them, maybe not to the rest of us, but that we need to appreciate more what's meaningful to them. And so, you know, sort of out of respect for that kind of idea, we haven't pushed Charlie to use the iPad as an augmentative device. You know, right. I, I, I think it's important that he really does have things that are fun. <laughs> right. And, you know, but it's not, not to say that we won't in the future. But, um, you know, and, and I think right now, especially since he's navigated his way, it seems, through some of the, the harder periods, hopefully, of adolescence, it might be time to really start him on that. So right. very excited about that. Okay. Sarah, please tell us about your progress with Squawk. Sure. Yeah. We, um, so we launched into an open beta test. Um, 
midway through January. And uh, it's been amazing. We, we have about um, close to 400 families uh, using it and testing it and giving us their feedback right now. And in about 14 different countries. So it's, it's amazing to hear um, how similar a lot of the experiences are because um, we're hearing both from from parents and from kids. So um, now we're able to take all that feedback uh, to launch the full version of the Squag Pad in just a few weeks. And um, and then a few weeks beyond that, we'll be launching the peer-to-peer um, through different uh, autism organizations. So we're going to be partnering up with them um, to be able to create Squag memberships amongst their own memberships. So right now, um, kids will be squagging with each other within... Um, Within a, a contained community, um, and you know, we 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 really want to be mindful about the way we um, put this out there because for us, it's not about it's not about sharing and acquisition, and it's not. I, I don't even really think of it as a social network. I think of it um, more of a as a space and 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 a, a space that really sort of allows kids to to take a moment just to self-reflect and, and, and think about who they are before they connect with someone else or it, even if they even want to. I mean, even with just being a parent and, and like what Christina was saying, um, after a while, um, the way you communicate as a parent, the, the kids, you know, start to need something a little bit differently as they get older. And so we wanted to give parents a new way to communicate with their kids, um, because all kids want independence, and they show us in different ways. And so parents with the best intentions um, may say, you know, we're so proud of you, you know, good job, all of that response-based stuff. But mm-hmm. but we want to be able to, we want the kids to be able to encode it, and we want to give, uh, give it to them in a beautiful visual way that they can really take it in and and look back on it as often as they want. They have a chronology of all of this communication back and forth between them and their parents. Now, I'm, Chris, I'm going to go to Christina because you mentioned the iPad and music uh, for Charlie and him watching videos. Now, that's a, a form of communication in a way, but I also sense from or hear you say that at times silence for you in your family is a form of communication. That is, you listen and you pick up cues and the rest of it uh, that enable you to understand the things that Charlie is um, expressing, um, wanting to convey to you, or perhaps wishing that he did convey them and perhaps not doing so. Um, Now, please talk more about Charlie using iPad for music and videos. Charlie... um Charlie, for many years, tried to use a regular computer and a keyboard and was unable to do so independently. Because fine motor issues, um, a lot of frustration I, I, with understanding how the, mouse, the computer mouse worked with the cursor. The iPad was a little revolution for him, the touchpad technology. And so for the first time in his life, he could listen to music on his own without asking me for help. And he could, to some extent, watch the videos because um, he needs me to help him type. Um, the um, search words into YouTube. But I've especially I noticed about the music, 
um, because the iPad, because of the way this, the, the, um, I guess you could say the format is, the way that if you have the music part of the iPad, the album, he, he figures out which album he wants to listen to by looking at the album cover. You know, they're all different because he doesn't really seem to read. And I think that he loves the visual display. He's a little obsessive about making sure that they're in a certain order, that, you know, that the whole screen is filled up with little squares with different albums. Um, he definitely knows which ones he wants to listen to. But sometimes, you know, I have a lot of, we have a lot of things on the iPad for him, from rock and roll to Disney music, which he likes, um, to some classical music, to jazz. And, you know, sometimes I would say... Turning on different kinds of music does seem to help change his moods when he's getting upset. Um, other times he listens to music and sometimes it makes him cry. I think maybe he remembers certain things from it. But um, I, I find, um, you know, one thing I really like about the iPad is it's designed in a very... It, it's designed in a, in a kind of a, a way that makes it... It just appeals to him. And I've been looking at Squawk, and one thing that I really like about it is just the colors... <laughs> It's got a light blue. It's very restful, and I think it's the kind of thing that Charlie would be attracted to. Right. Because, uh, really, because of the design. So, you know, and I sometimes think that we don't always think about these things when we design communication systems for autistic children. You know, we often, adults, think about things that might seem obvious to them, um, but that really are very odd to the child. And this is like Charlie's experience using the picture exchange communication system. I'm going to have to stop you again there because another critical point that you've just made. Um, Sarah, um, the Internet has uh, risks. Um, do you see any risks for the young people who are communicating with Squag, um, presumably via the Internet, or do you see any other sorts of problems that we those of us who are working in the field or are interested in it should be aware of? Well, yeah. I mean, security and, and safety was, of course, the biggest issue and, and will continue to be all the way along um, because there's there's a lot of ways that we want everybody to be safe. Um, so one of the things that was really important to us to do was to have the parents and the kids adopt the technology at the same time. Um, and ironically, I, I'm, not, I'm not really a tech person. So when I developed it, I wanted it to be accessible enough for, for, for parents to, to feel comfortable with right away. And um, so the parents, the parents support the child's um, activity, and one doesn't work without the other. So um, it, it gives the parents instant connectivity to what's going on. There's a parent dashboard um, that has a reporting system, and they can see um, who their child's been scrying to and, and for how long. And, you know, for a lot of our uh, teenage testers, they really were like, I, I don't want my parents to know this much about um, the way I'm connecting. And our answer to them was, this is this is the starting point. I mean, this is what's important to us, and 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 many of these kids, like many of the teenagers that were saying this, were of course already on Facebook and Twitter, and they were using all this social media. And we don't really see ourselves as as um, as that kind of social network. We're we're really trying to tinker with something a little bit different, and um, and so it was really important to us that the parents were involved and had and had access to their child's activity. They also have the ability to match their kids up based on um, different special interests and who they think their kid um, would connect with, and that's 
and that's a real starting point. Um, and then they can adjust the settings as often as they like. Um, then, of course, there's all of the security and moderation mm-hmm. um, yeah. technology and um, all of the privacy policy certification and all of that that, of course, we've done. And then, oh. as well, we're going to be streaming it through um, autism organizations. To add Sarah, to I'm going to have to stop you again oh. because of this tyranny, not because uh, <laughs> I want to stop you, but yeah. we do. So... Um, it is time for the break, and this is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guests are Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a homeowner who's trying to save on energy bills and go green at the same time? Tune into Energy Saving in the Home, brought to you by 521 Compressor Saver and Home Energy Consultants with host Gary Parr and Dennis Seltzer. They have saved homeowners just like you as much as 65% on energy bills through energy efficiency practices. You'll learn about conservation, products, and services to reduce energy consumption and save you money. Be sure to listen to Energy Saving in the Home, live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you heard about the Egoscu Method? It's a way to become pain-free based on unique, custom-tailored exercises designed to bring an individual's body back into postural and functional balance. Learn more about the Egoscu Method when you tune in each week to Stop Your Pain with your host, Rick Mathis, director of the Egoscu Clinic in Austin, Texas. Your questions, calls, and emails are a major part of our program. Let Rick show you how to get out of pain and take back control of your life. Stop Your Pain airs live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Sarah Winter and Christina Chu. Our topic is using social media to connect young persons with autism. Now, before we start, I just have to say that Christina may have to leave us because a bus um, will be arriving perhaps during this segment uh, with Charlie, and therefore Christina is back on duty. So uh, she may just have to leave us, but uh, I will at the end summarize um, some of the things I would like to say to Sarah, and that will uh, sorry, both Sarah. Oh, there's the bus. I'm afraid I have to go. It's been lovely. Thank you so there much. There you go. It's great right, to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. I look forward to hearing it all. Thank you. Bye now. <laughs> Bye. Return to duty. That's what it is, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you some things, things that you would like to see done to advance information, communication, support, the kind of things you're doing for family caregivers in the situations that you've both been talking about, that is looking after young people, uh, family caregivers, uh, AIDS, 
nephews with autism who, um, for whom there are communications difficulties of one form or another. So given that I've modified my thinking, and when I talk about communications, I'm also talking about the things that um, Christina was talking about, like the importance of silence, like the point that um, some words may mean special things between parent and child and may not mean the things that are understandable by others, uh, all of those kinds of things I include within the notion of communication. So Uh what I want you to ask you now is what do you see as the benefits of more and better, and I'm going to say more appropriate communications among young persons with autism? Um, well, I, I th- you know, one of the things that Christina said that really resonated with me when she was talking about silence, right away what I think about is respect because that's really what she's saying, right? She, she and her husband, who were both highly, you know, typically high, very highly verbal, learned how to use silence as a form of communication, and that's really about respecting who your child is. And I think that one of the things that social media has done for parents is to connect them with other parents going through the same thing in real time. And it's been a tremendous support. But what it's also given them is access to the self-advocate community who really have a lot of incredible insight um, to give us as parents about about how to communicate with our kids. So I'm really excited about um, the transparency and the open conversations um, that are starting to happen on social media between uh, the self-advocate community and the parent community. Because then what parents can do is they can um, find ways that are safe and um, manageable for for their children to start to begin to develop a sense of self. Like, I, I, I read blogs by young people who are poets and artists and chess champions, and I'm just blown away by the kind of self-advocacy I'm seeing in such young kids. Um, There's YouTube videos of kids talking to their class about their autism or, um, um, you know, filmmaking by by young people with autism, and what it's doing is it's giving them a voice. Um, We have a very, uh, an incredible family here in Canada uh, the Fleischmans and their their young daughter Carly Fleischman um, was nonverbal till she was eleven, and then she began to type and she began to communicate in such a sophisticated way. Her parents, I mean, it, it was it, it's an amazing story, and they've actually they're just launching a book that's coming out I think next week about their journey, and I think um, you know what technology gave that family um, shows us all that. These kids have a lot to say and that they're underestimated a lot in their daily life. And so we need to constantly find ways to facilitate um, them being safe to be themselves. And then I think what we're going to see is really an evolution of, of understanding and the whole neurodiversity movement I think is really exciting. I'm going to just ask you this. When I was reading out your, your, your bio, Sarah, I read a sentence to say about the passion you have for um, creating understanding and opportunities for underestimated kids. That that was your actual word, phrase. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it seems to me that what you're doing with technology, um, the kind of thing that Christina was talking about with the iPad, are all moving in that important direction, which is um, to provide workarounds. And may I just theorize to you just slightly? It is as though the brain has some part that isn't working as it should do. But uh, there are other parts of the brain that if we know how to operate them and provide them with workarounds, can enable uh, the brain to deliver all the other things that we have underestimated and that when we do recognize them, surprise us in things like you've been talking about intelligence, abilities, and all those kinds of things. Now, that was a bit long-winded, but Sarah, am I somewhat, at least, on the right lines when I say that to you? Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of talent in the community, too, and um, I, I think it's a little bit difficult sometimes for lots of kids who communicate differently because um, their behavior is read, um, and it's... It, it may just be the environment. It may be a sensory consideration that hasn't been made or, or anxiety is coming into play. And, and they're read based on their behavior in school or in a social skills group or on a bus. And they're, I don't want to say judged, but they're valued based on the way they communicate in that environment. And I, I just, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think that you can, um, I, I don't think that, I think, I think that we need to, understand who our kids are by, by um, resonating with them where they're comfortable. And, you know, uh, you know my, my six-year-old is a highly anxious kid, and I maybe have, you know, I have 10 minutes a day where I feel like, wow, I'm sometimes not even 10 minutes, but I feel like, wow, okay, I'm really there with him in this moment, and I feel like I'm connected to him. And it's usually right before he goes to bed, and it's usually where... You know, he's he's confined in his bed, and he, he's very comfortable, and he's relaxed, and his body isn't lost in space, and and that's where we build stuff. That's where we build our relationship from. And I used to dread putting him to bed because, I, you know, it was always a fight, and, and he was so hyperactive, and I just felt like a failure constantly. But what I realized through parenting therapy is that, um, you know, if I can understand the way, the place that he is comfortable in, just like what Christine was saying, and go there with him, that's where all the exploration happens, and that's, to me, what you can build on. Right. I'm going to summarize back to you something in a little bit of a different way, and that is that what I've learned from um, Family Caregivers Unite is the way in which family caregivers, first of all, uh, travel the hard road, then it's as though they stop, look over the shoulders, and reach out a hand for family caregivers just starting out on the road. That's the first thing. The second thing is that um, they, uh, the family caregivers, like you, like, um, and like Christina, are looking for things that you can do uh, that help, and then when you find that they do help, you either build services in the way you're doing, you write, you publish, you talk, and then you talk on Family Caregivers Unite. Because what you're doing is conveying your experience, translating it into helpful advice or helpful observations for other family caregivers. And behind all of that is an increasing 
use, increasingly useful role for computers. There is Charlie with his um, music, his videos. There are you talking about young people communicating via Squag and the its program. And that message is a profoundly hopeful and powerful one. So that's my kind of summary back to you. I hope it's right. I hope it's okay. But whatever, I want to say, first of all, thank you very much, both of you, Sarah and Christine, for talking about this experience and sharing your insights and giving your advice. And I want to sincerely wish you continuing success in your work, not only for yourselves, for kids you're looking after, but for everybody else who shares in common with you the challenge of caring for kids with autism and similar disorders. So for, for all our sakes, uh, I, want you, I deeply want you both to continue to be successful. So thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your contribution. And I hope that I'll get an opportunity to interview you again as you both progress in your work. Now, in our Thanks. next episode, we'll talk about the Powerhouse Project, which is a young carers initiative. To our listeners, thank you very much. Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.